Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us. Wherever you're listening from, we hope you're encouraged and inspired by today's message. Today we're on part two of a series that we began on last week called Empire. Everybody say Empire. And I get the privilege of kind of bringing up the second part of it. I wasn't supposed to be here with you guys today. I was actually on Thursday on my way to Los Angeles to preach um, for Matthew Barnett at the Dream Center. And my plane had engine failure. And so we were on the runway for three hours and they were trying to fix an engine on the runway. You know how that's going to go. And so they said they fixed it. We started pulling off. And then all of a sudden they was like, um, um, sorry, it broke down again. And so we was thinking like, please get us off this plane. And so they actually asked us all to get off. And so I couldn't get another flight out to L.A., so I called my friend. I'm stuck in Miami. It was just a layover. And um, I said, man, I'm stuck in Miami. Do you need me um, to do anything for you? He says, man, I would love for you to come preach at Brave Church on this Sunday. And so I didn't know I was going to be here. You probably didn't know I was going to be here, but God did. I believe this is a divine appointment for somebody who's hungry tonight, somebody that needs a word from God tonight. We didn't come here to play church. We came and so, you know, encounter with God tonight. Anybody ready? Just shout, I'm ready. And so, you know, I lead this leadership institute in our church called the Alive Leadership Institute. And I love like raising up leaders. And you all have this brave college that's happening as well. And if you sense a call of God on your life, anybody sense a call of God on your life? Maybe you're af- afraid to even raise your hand. Everybody in the front row is like, yeah, that's me. Everybody in the back is like, no, I'm not ready yet. But yes, you are. Because God has need of your supply. And the truth is, is as you take a step towards that call, God will take two towards you. And there's always provision when you take a step to whatever, whatever he's called you to do. There's so many different kinds of calls. We won't get into that tonight. But I was teaching this leadership thing and we were talking about sin. And I, I began a three part course just on this past Monday called Walking in Holiness. How many of you all know that as Christians, it's time for us to live right? Nobody said amen up in this church. Let me say it again. It's really time for us to live right. You know, there's a spirit of compromise in the world. And the crazy thing is, is that the Bible is not loud about everything. You will not find everything that you should not do in the Bible. That's why you have to have your own conviction of the Holy Spirit. But there are some things that are permissible, but but it ain't wise. And there are some things that truthfully, if we let it into our life and we begin to feed our flesh, it's going to lead us into an area of sin. Now, when you accept Jesus, your sins are forgiven. That means you are made righteous. So even if you sin, it doesn't change your nature. So when God looks at you, he looks at you like Jesus who knew no sin. That's good news tonight. So sin is simply missing the mark. It's simply when God says to do this, but you want to do this, that's what we call sin. God says to have this attitude, but your motives aren't right, or your attitude or your perspectives toward what he said is not right. It's, it, it, that's what we call sin. But the most dangerous thing that we could do as believers, for those of you all who are new to church, this doesn't completely apply yet until you accept Christ. But after you accept Christ, one of the most dangerous things you can do is live in habitual, willful sin. Meaning that when you accept Jesus, yes, your sins are forgiven, past, future and present. But at the same time, if you continue to habitually, willfully live a lifestyle of sin, when God says do this, but you say, I don't care about that. I want to do what I want to do. Now, the first thing is, I don't know if you're really saved because saved people have a conviction. You know, some people say, is it once saved, always saved? I say, were you ever really saved? 
Because if you're really saved, anybody here, you sin and you feel so bad, like I tell a lie. Like, oh my God, Jesus, I lied. Would you please help me? That's how you know you're saved for real. Now, if you can just go on sinning and sinning and sinning, you need to get saved tonight. We're going to give you that opportunity. But the Bible says a lot of stuff about willful sin. It says that you crucify Christ, we are fresh, and you put him to an open chain. Where we should be the best advertisement for the body of Christ, we become the worst advertisement. And people says, I don't want to go to church because I met those hypocrite people that go to church. And they don't want Jesus because of us. And I think that's so wrong. And then it says that there's no more repentance for that person. And I don't know, that just scares me. I don't like that verse. I don't really know what it means because I need to be able to repent and be forgiven of what I do. But if I willful habitually sin... The Bible says some very scary stuff. It says in Matthew that many, many, many in that day are going to say unto me, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out devils in your name? Didn't I perform many mighty miracles in your name? And he's going to say to those many people, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Those who live in habitual sin. I don't know about you, but I don't want that. What I want Jesus to say is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Okay. So in my class, we were going through all this stuff about sin, and I asked this question, and I need your help tonight. Y'all help me with the answer to this. What is the most common sin that you think believers commit? The most common sin. Now, if you were in my earlier services, don't give the answer, because I want to hear what they think. What is the most common sin that you think believers commit? Not unbelievers, but believers. These are people that got the WWJD bracelet on. They got the cross on their necklace. Come on, somebody. They got a Bible, and they came to church at 6 p.m. all night. You are holier than thou. But what is the most common sin that Christ followers commit? Come on, shout it out. Lies. What else? Gossip. Come on, what else? Pride. Disobedience. Come on. Jealousy. Anything else? Nobody says sexual immorality. Nobody wants to say that. It's okay. Okay. But listen, <laughs> I'll give you what I think that it is. Now, listen, I've been saved about 28 years, I think, maybe 29 years. I've been in ministry for 18 years and a lead pastor for 11 years. I've had the wonderful privilege of talking to God's people all around the world. And I've kind of, now I can't quantify this, but this is my opinion of what I think the most common sin is. Are you ready? I think the most common sin that believers commit is financial sin. The most common. Because studies show us that 90% of the WWJD t-shirt wearing, cross wearing people don't consistently tie and give to God. Matter of fact, studies show us 97% of Christ's followers all around the world don't obey God's commandment to bring him a tenth. Now, 97% of us want the windows of heaven blessing. We want this year to be a breakout year. 2019 is my year of legacy, but those windows are closed if we don't begin to obey God. And I got a word for somebody tonight because I know you want God's best in your life and God has so many promises for you. But you have to obey what God has put in the word for you to obey. And so God gave me this word, and I actually just taught this on Wednesday. Once again, I did not know that I would be here today. I gave this word on Wednesday to a live church. God broke my plane down on Thursday because he wanted me to talk to you today. <laughs> I love God's sense of humor. So my second part of empire, now you first got to have an empire state of mind, and now is our time. Somebody shout, now is my time. But the second part, and this is my part that I'm bringing to you today, is that you gotta master your money. 
or it'll master you. And I'm bringing this from Luke chapter 16, verse number 13. If you have a Bible, let's start there. Luke 16 and 13. And I want to read this together very quickly. Okay, let's read it together. Ready, read. No one can serve what? Two masters. Because either you will hate the one and do what? Love the other. Or you will be what? Devoted to the one and do what? Despise the other. You cannot serve both God and... Do you all get that? And so the Bible draws a line in the sand and it says, listen, as a Christian, you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money, but you can't serve both. Okay. now this is not a message about you quitting your job. God help us. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, please don't quit your job. (laughs) This is not a message about not having money, because the truth is some of you all need to have money because you can't be a blessing unless you're blessed. But this is a message about you not serving money. It's a message about you serving God with your money. And if I was to do a poll right now and I said, how many of you all believe that you serve money? Nobody would say yes. But if you're a person that you work two or three or four jobs and you barely can come to church on a Sunday. And uh, when I when we talk about giving in church, you just push that off to somebody else. You might be serving money and you don't even know it. And the only way to master your money is that you give your money another master. The only way that you master your money and not serve money is that you give your money another master. Now, how many of y'all remember that movie back in the day, The Last Dragon with Bruce Leroy and Shonuff? I got one person on the front row that looked like he came right out of that movie. But it, it, and it had that glow, remember the glow? And the guy caught the bullet in his tooth. Man, this is an old school movie. But the guy said, he would go around and say, who's your master? They say, show sure enough. But who your master? Show. Sure. Okay. And so when your money, <laughs> this makes no sense. But when your money's going to ask you, who's your master? You got to say, Jesus is. You see, when you say Christ come into my heart, you say that he's my savior, but he's also Lord. That means that he's died and he saved me from my perishing predicament, but he's also Lord. And that word Lord means master, ruler, and controller. And so he's the master, ruler, and controller of my time, my talent, and also my treasure. Come on, somebody. And the only way for you to master your money is to give your money another master and look to the master's word and say, God, how have you told me to steward my money? Then all of a sudden you will switch out of the world's kingdom into the kingdom's, out of the world's economy into the kingdom's economy. And so years ago, about 18 years ago, when I first got filled with the Holy Spirit, um, I had a mentor give me this thing, and I've chewed on this for 18 years. He says that every believer to be an effective Christian needs three conversions. Number one, you need the conversion of your heart. Everybody say my heart. Um, Your heart is when you accept Jesus, he takes your stony heart away or your spirit and replaces it with a heart of flesh or faith, okay? And so before you accept Christ, you are a dead man walking. You are spiritually dead. So you work with people, they're dead men walking. They are spiritually dead even though they're alive. They're having a good time, but on the inside, because of their sin, they are separated from God. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. Because of God's holiness and man's sinfulness, God is over here and we're over here. So when you surrender to Jesus, Jesus now steps on the inside of you. He regenerates your spirit and you are born again. That term in the Greek means born from above. So now, even though you're here, you're also there. You're seated in high places with Christ Jesus, all right? And so what happens is that your heart is converted. We all have to have that. That's number one. But number two, you also need the conversion of your mind. In Romans chapter 12, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That's when you take what you used to think, 
when you was going to the parties, what you used to think, think when you was in traditions and what you used to think. And then you find out what God's word says and you exchange wrong thoughts for right thoughts. Now, that's a process. Everybody say a process. It's to be transformed. Actually, the word is metamorpho in the Greek transformation. It's like a caterpillar coming, turning into a butterfly. It's, it's a gradual process, but you need that conversion. Let me move on. Okay, but the third one, and this is where most people don't make it. They stop on number one, is that you got to have the conversion of your pocketbook. All right. Now, for guys, I hope you don't have a pocketbook, but if you do, it's okay. Well, because I know you got fanny packs. Those are coming back in style and everything, but God bless you. But anyway, a lot of people, they have the heart conversion and they stop right there. But if you want to be an effective Christian, how many of y'all want to quit climbing up the rough, rough side of the mountain, but you want to speak to the mountain until it's removed? If you want to be a powerful and an effective Christian, you need the conversion of your heart the conversion of your mind, and you also need the conversion of your money. You say, Pastor, why is that? Because where a man's treasure is, that's where his heart is also. And so here's a few things that I've kind of um, learned, and this is what's in, why this is important to me, because the Bible says more about finances than it does heaven, hell, or salvation combined. Did you know that? Why is this important to me? Because giving is the love language of God. Now, some of us say how much we love. How many of y'all say you love the Lord? I mean, you really do. You love the Lord. You love the Lord. Well, what's the love language of God? You see, I read this book a little bit ago, and we took this test about love languages, and I found out that my wife's love language is quality, time, and touch. And that's okay with me. I like to touch her. It's okay. We, we, you know, nobody's, nobody's clapping but me. It's all right. It's all right. You know? But... Um, the trick to loving your spouse is not to love them how you want to be loved, it's to love them how they want to be loved. See, love is always about the other person. And so, if I'm a person that says, but my love language is active service, but I go always loving her with active service, she's going to be like, why are you doing all this stuff? That means nothing to me because my job is to figure out her love language and love her according to her love language. Now, some of you all who say you love Jesus, but you haven't figured out his love language. See, your, God's love language is not you just singing to him and proclaiming your love to him and wearing the merchandise that you love the Lord. God's love language is given. He says where your treasure is, okay, where your heart is, okay, where your passion is, okay, where your love is, where your focus is, what's really important to you, you can trace it back to the money because where a man's treasure is, that's where his love really is no matter what he says. So what God says in the Bible is, put your money where your mouth is, because talk is cheap. Y'all know folk always talking about how much they love you and everything, you know what I mean? You love me, love me, love me, love me, love me. But if you love me, you wouldn't treat me like that. If you love me, you wouldn't lay a hand on me. So talk is cheap, love has to have action with it. God's love language is giving y'all. And so I found this out, so it's important to me, because this is one of the major things that helped me connect with God. Now, it's one thing to have a relationship with God. If you've accepted Christ, you're on your way to heaven. God bless you. But I want to bring heaven to earth right now. Okay? And so I want to have fellowship with the Lord. Unbroken, unhindered fellowship by relationship because you're... You say, what will sin do to, to a believer? Well, it won't stop your relationship because you're born again, but it will break your fellowship. It will hinder your fellowship. It will hinder... See, all sin has a harvest. You think you're getting away with that because ain't nobody down on South Beach. I'm meddling now, Lord, help me. <laughs> At 2 a.m. in the morning, you're on your device. You think ain't nobody sees that, but God sees that. And all sin has a harvest. And so I want the anointing in my life to flow unhindered 
from sin in my life. I don't know if anybody's with me today. I want, I want the anointing of God to flow in me in a way. And when you sin, sometimes it can break that anointing from being able to flow. And so when my wife and I, we first got married, um, here's a quick story. We had over $100,000 of debt. And so I'm from a very small town called Beckley, West Virginia. Yes, West Virginia is a state. Let's move on. Um, my wife is from a small town called Uniontown, Pennsylvania. She grew up in the projects. I mean, government, everything, you know, housing, food, everything. I taught her how to drive when she was 22 years old. She didn't know who Jesus was. She thought that Jesus and David from the Bible, King David, was the same person. And so when we got together, actually, she grew up. Her dad died when she was six years old, and it sent the family into a spiral of sexual abuse, verbal abuse, battered women's house she lived in, all these different things. And so when we got together, she had actually um, been diagnosed depressed clinically for 10 years at that point when we first met in college. And so some of our first dates was going to hypnotherapy and pycnotherapy together. Oh, how fun that was. But anyway, you know, they say that one of the greatest um, causes for divorce is financial pressure. Y'all have heard that before. That's where we were. We had $100,000 of debt, and I'm not talking about, like, appreciating assets, <laughs> like house mortgage. No, I'm talking about Visa, y'all, revolving credit cards, MasterCard, department stores that she owed. It's all on her. It was really her and her project mentality, you know. She ain't here so I can say whatever I want to say, but no, really it was 60% her and 40% me. So we were a team in this debt thing. And it was so crazy that I remember so much pressure waking up in the middle of the night crying. That debt was like a gorilla on my back. I did not know what to do with it. Lo and behold, somebody invited me to a church like this one. And I didn't know what the church was, you know. Somebody invited me to a church on a Tuesday night. I didn't know people went to church on Tuesday night. I grew up in a little small Baptist church, and I was just going to check that off the box that I did that, but I didn't live for God at all. I was in the streets. And so, anyway, so somebody invited me to church, and they made me a cake, and I like cake, so I came. And MapQuested it out. And I remember walking into the church. That's how you got around. You ain't had waves. You had MapQuest. And I MapQuested it out. And I remember walking into the church. I didn't know who the pastor was. I didn't know the name of the church. Somebody made me a cake. So I came. And I remember the preacher. I was 22 years old. I'm 40 years old now. This was 18 years ago. I remember like it was yesterday. The preacher stood up. And this is what he said. He said, tithing is the one area in the Bible that God gives you the believer the opportunity to test him to see if his word won't work. I just moved out of a one-bedroom apartment with roaches and mice. I had a marriage that was headed for divorce. I was 22 years old with $100,000 in debt, and I decided to test God. Not because I had a lot of money, it's because I had a lot of faith. See, you don't need to have a lot of money to obey God. You just need to have some obedience in your heart. You just need to know that God is watching over his word to perform it. See, some of you all have been focusing on the problems more than the promises, and you got to shift. Go ahead and tell your neighbor you got to shift. Go ahead and prophesy. This is your season to shift your focus. You've been looking on the bills. You've been looking at what you can't do more than what he can do. God sent you to this church so that you can have a shifting of your perspective tonight. Is anybody ready for what I'm about to preach? to you and so at 22 years old I didn't know a lot I just knew that that was in God's word and I said God I'm in a painful position right now but for the rest of my life I will take 10% of everything you give to me and I will give it back to you as a form of honor and a form of worship and a form of love 
No matter what I'm going through in my life, I will tithe. No matter if I'm up, if I'm rich, I'm a tithe. If I'm poor, I'm a tithe. If I got a house, I'm a tithe. If I'm out on the street, I'm a tithe. No matter who's in office, I'm a tithe. No matter who's in the presidency, whether we have a recession or whether it's flowing with milk and honey, God, I will obey you for the rest of my life. It's been 18 years, y'all. And I'm not going to act like it's always been the easiest thing ever, but here's the key. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or the seed begging bread. Because I've switched economies. You have to switch from the economies of this world to the economies of our God. And his economy has no shortage. Now, you can work and work and work and work, and you'll be working under a curse and have little to show for it. Or you can step out into obedience and say, my God, do what I can't do. And I'm going to give you the scripture tonight that changed me at 22 years old. And specifically for those of you all who are young people, those of you all who are college age, high school, middle school, this is for everybody, but specifically for those of you all, you haven't even started down your career path yet. Let God's word set the temperature of your obedience. Not what men say, not what a website says, not what a blog says. Let God's word set the temperature of your obedience. Malachi chapter 3, this is the one that changed me. Everybody should go there, especially those of you all who are in business, because I'm a, I don't know if I gave you all my story, so this is what happened. So in the first year of our marriage, my combined income was $10,000 for the year, the first year of our marriage. I was 22 years old. By the time I was 26 years old, four years, about four or five years, if memory serves me correctly, of living holy. Now, I'm dropping dimes here. Don't miss any of this, okay? I'm dropping a bunch of keys here of living holy, coming to church every time the doors was open as much as I possibly could, getting involved in everything that my church had, getting behind my pastor's vision, spending daily time in the word of God, daily time in worship, tithing and looking for opportunities to be a blessing wherever God wants me to be a blessing. And within four years, by the time I was 26, our combined income was $750,000 for the year. That year, I gave $100,000 to my church I paid off people's debt, I bought cars, I had 19 people live with me in about nine years. See, I wanna to talk to you today about what it means to be blessed, to be a blessing. Some of y'all been believing for a bigger house, you don't need a bigger house if you ain't gonna let nobody else live there. It's from being about space, why do you need another car? Why do you need another iPhone? See, God wants to shift our perspectives from being about ourselves to what can I do to further the mission and the vision of eternal life? I think that's what last week was about, it's all about not being focused on temporal things, but eternal things. And you know, for years, I kind of stopped sharing that testimony, not for years, but a season I went through because church people, sometimes you say $750,000. Some people are like, yes, I'm inspired. Some people are like discouraged, like you can never do that. You don't know my situation. <laughs> and, and you know what I say to that? The truth is, is that he took this young boy from the mountains of West Virginia, you ain't never heard of where I'm from, 25,000 people in my city, and a mixed chick from the projects of Uniontown, Pennsylvania, with a population of 10,000 people and about three traffic lights, and he says, you know what, I'm going to use you because I'll take the simple things of the world to confound the wise. I need to talk to somebody today. I need to talk to somebody today. You might not be the smartest in the room, but you can be the most anointed. You might not know everything, but you can carry the favor of God into your workplace. And when you step up in the boardroom, Jehovah Jireh has stepped up with you. I need to speak to somebody, a generation of Joshua's in this place tonight that will rise up and go to the walls of Jericho and just shout until the walls fall down. Is there anybody in this place tonight that will trust God in your situation? So here's the scripture that changed me. If you're ready, just say, I'm ready. Malachi chapter three. There's an anointing in this place tonight. 
Malachi 3 verse 8, it says, we're a mere mortal robbed God, yet you've robbed me. And this is where I was. But you asked where we robbed you, God. That's where I, I said, God, what are you talking about robbing you? In tithes and offering. That's where. Notice it didn't just say the tithe. The tithe is 10%. Let's define it right. It's not just you giving every once in a while or giving when it's easy. Actually, giving, there should be a pain in the offering. See, on December the 9th, when you have your legacy offering, don't throw God like something that don't cost you anything. David himself said, I would never give anything to God that didn't cost me something. See, it cost Jesus something to get on that bloody cross. And so there should be a pain in the offering that God gives you something to give on December the 9th. And you're like, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. That can't be God. God says, oh, yes, it's me. I'm calling you up higher this year to a higher level of harvest, to a higher level of anointing, to a higher level of trusting me. And if you cannot be, if you cannot be faithful over the unrighteous mammon, who will entrust to your care the true riches, which is the power of God? God looks at how you steward your money to see if he can entrust you with anointing. And so, how have you robbed me in tithes and offering, and you're under a curse? And I just believe 97% of the Christ followers fall right there where I did. You say, can a Christian be cursed? Yeah. Disobedience will bring about a curse on a blessed people. You've never been designed to carry the curse. Jesus went to the cross, put the curse on his back, but now your disobedience eradicates what the cross did and brings you into the devil's worst when you should have God's best. And the whole nation, because they was robbing God, verse 10, here's the answer. Anybody interested in the answer tonight? Because when I saw this at 22 years old, it jumped off the page at me. He said, here's what I want you to do. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Not some of the tithe, not what is comfortable, but the whole tithe. And this is what he says. He says, test me. Go ahead and tell your, your neighbor, it's time to take this test. Go ahead and tell him it's, it's time. Come on, I said in the back, go ahead and tell your neighbor it's time to take the test. Go ahead and tell them that. It's time to take the test. And this is what he says. Test me in this. See if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there ain't room enough to store it. How many of y'all can handle that in 2019? Do I got any faith-filled people? What does that mean? That means more than enough. That means that God wants to do something in you because he has somebody else on, the, on his mind. All right? And this is what he says. And I will prevent the pest from devouring your crops. This ain't even talking about financial stuff. Now he's going to stop the devil from attacking you. This might be a car accident that gets stopped, sickness from coming on your body, whatever the devil's trying to do to kill, to steal, and destroy. He says, I'm going to stop it for the tither. And this is what he says. And your vines won't cast its fruit before the time in the field. That's a good news for somebody who's caring child. They're not going to come before the time. They're going to come right on time. That's good news for a businessman. You're investing. I don't want to cast my fruit before it's time in the field. I need my investments to stay in the marketplace until the appropriate time to get the best dividends. Are y'all okay? And then all nations will call you blessed. Unsaved people and saved people are going to look at you and say there's something different about you. You are a delightsome land. Can anybody handle that going into the next year? And so this is what I've learned, okay, over the last 18 years, that the tithe is a holy thing. It's not to be ashamed of. If you're a tither, you should be loud and proud that I'm a tither. Thank God that God put that principle in the word of God and I'm obeying it. Number two, the tithe is not the end of our giving. It's actually the beginning. It's not the ceiling. It's not the ceiling. It's actually the floor. 
It's where we should start, not where we should end. Some people say, well, I'm tithing. I'm doing a great thing. You're beginning. That's where we begin at, okay? Now, right now, my wife and I, we're trying to be a part of the 51% club. You might want to go get that tattooed on you, 51% club. You say, what's that? I want to give away 51% and live off 49%. I want to be able to get to the place in my life where I give more than I keep. Am I talking, is any generous people in the house tonight? Anybody got the faith? I'm not saying what you have to do. I'm just putting some different ideas out there. That's all, and whoever it's for, you can just take it. But anyway, number three, I learned over the last 18 years that the tithe breaks the curse. The tithe, it breaks the curse. And so in Genesis chapter three, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, the Bible says that they were cursed with the curse. And for women, they would give pain in their childbearing. And for men, from the sweat of their brow, they would work and work and work and have little to show from it. Does that sound like anybody who's here tonight? Don't raise your hand. But if that's you, and I know you're here, you got to break that curse. How do you do that? The blessing. The windows of heaven of blessing from your obedience eradicates the curse. That's what the tithe does, okay? This is what I've learned. The tithe, it blesses the rest. So meaning that if you give God the first 10%, he blesses the 90%. The first 10 blesses the 90%. And most of you all who've been tithing, you know that you can do more with 90% with God's blessing on it than you ever could with 100% with no anointing on that thing. Would somebody say amen in this place tonight? This is what I've learned over the years. Number five, that when we tithe, God gives us the windows of heaven blessing. What's that? That's an empowerment. That's an anointing. It's not dollar bills dropping from the sky, y'all. Don't expect that. That ain't happening. He gives you witty ideas. He gives you wisdom. He gives you favor. Number six, Jesus tells us himself to tithe. How many of y'all want to obey Jesus, our Christ, the Lord? In Matthew 23, 23, the only time he speaks of tithing in the New Testament, he says, this is what we ought to do. This is not an Old Testament thing. This is a believer thing. I wish I had help in this place. What I've learned over the years is number seven, is that we don't give to our church. We give through our church. Some people say, well, what are they doing with the money? Well, what is, the, what is anywhere you is, is in the, what is Chevron doing with the money? What is the Publix doing with the money? Who is they anyway? See, the thing is, is in the church, God has to judge the leadership. You don't judge the leadership. Let God judge the leadership. But God is going to judge your obedience. And so I don't give to my church. I give through my church right to Jesus. Y'all get the revelation? When you put something in the bucket or online, it's not going just here. It's going before the nostrils of God as a worship. And last but not least, I've learned that God does look at percentages when we give. God looks at the percentage that you give. Remember the story about the woman who had the widow's might? The Bible says that Jesus was overlooking at the offering. And this woman came in and put in two pennies, basically, two mites. And he said, stop the press. Everybody shut it down right now and build a memorial for this woman for generations to come. They got to hear about this because she put in all she had. What was that? 100%. Okay. He looks at the percentages. And so sometimes what happens is that some of us have just great intellect and we have great gifting or you're a sports player and actor and you have a profession that you make so much money in. And sometimes what we do is we get excited about a person that comes and gives a million dollars. Like, Look at that person. Man, they're great. They gave a million, but they got a hundred billion. And in comparison to what they have, that's very small. So God doesn't want equal amounts. He wants equal sacrifice. That's why he calls it 10%. So if you don't have a job right now, what's your tithe? Zero. 10% <laughs> of zero is, come on, math students. Okay, let me help you out. 10% of $10,000 is what? Come on, y'all, math 101. 
$1,000, okay? So if you make $20,000 a year, what's the tithe? If you make $50,000 a year, what's the tithe? Come on, y'all follow me. <laughs> y'all follow me here. Uh, I'm nervous for you. If you make $100,000 a year, what's your tithe? If you make $500,000 a year, what's your tithe? All right. So what that means is that your giving should go up as the blessing goes up. The more you make, the more you should give. Are y'all with me? But studies show us in America, the more we make percentage-wise, the less we give. Meaning that the more God has been good to you, the less people give. And I asked God, I said, God, why is that? And here's my answer. It's because people begin to subconsciously trust themselves more than trusting God. And now, see, it's easy to give when you ain't got nothing. You ever been there before? You got $10 to your name. Lord, take that. And you're just going to believe for your lunch money. You know what I'm saying? You only got $10 to your name. That's easy. But when you got $10 million and now your tithe is, what's $10 million? I don't even know. I can't do that math either. Whatever that is, now you're thinking, but man, I could make this investment. I could buy another building. I could buy this company. I could do this, that, and the other. And God is like, no, I've given you that so you can be faithful over the least and I'll make you ruler over the much. If you would just trust me with what you have, I got so much more in store. You can't see what I want to do in you and through you. Would you give me what's in your hand because what's in your hand it's attached to what's in your heart. And when you give me what's in your hand, you're giving me what's in your heart. And he doesn't want your money, but he does want your love. God is not broke. He doesn't need our money, but he knows what we're after. And he says, don't trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. God wants us to live an abundant life, but we got to start saying, God, I'm going to give you what I have. Here's the secret to tithing. Are you ready? You got to realize that 100% of what you have belongs to God. Oh, let me shift it on you real quick. Somebody shout shift. Because the reason that some people don't give to God is they say, well, that's my money. I work hard and it's my car and it's my clothing. But the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So you don't own anything. You're a steward of everything. And, it, and when you develop not an ownership mentality, but a management mentality, all of a sudden you will realize that if God asked me to take off this leather jacket, I need to take it off because it's not mine and give it to somebody else. If God says, take those Chelsea boots off and give it to this person that needs some shoes, these are not my boots. I am stewarding them until he tells me to distribute them. So 100%, not 10%, 100% of every dime that comes into your hand belongs to the Lord. And he says, I'm going to entrust you with 90 please do right by me and so when you give your tithe it's really not giving you are returning it back to God because it's his anyway is anybody in 6 p.m. service y'all still feel fired up in this house y'all still fired up in this house can I answer two questions for you let me give you the why and the how and I'll be done and um, here's the why you say pastor why do you give I don't give to get I know you hear my story about the $750,000. If that's your motive, you're probably messing up from the beginning. The reason you give is because you love God. Meaning that I would still give and go to the 51% club even if he didn't give me another thing because he's already given me enough. So your motive of your giving isn't to get, it's, it's love. It's I love God, I love the church, I know that my giving helps us change lives. That's the why. But let me give you the how. Is anybody here wanting to know the how? Because maybe you're like me, $100,000 of debt, 
living in a one-bedroom apartment. My marriage was not right. I just needed to know how to do it. You didn't even have to convince me. If it's in the Bible, it's in the Bible. Just tell me how to do it. This is how you begin to tithe. If you want to do it tonight, tonight's your night. Here comes your answer. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. This is how you do it. You got to take God off the bottom of your budget and you got to put him on the top. Drop the mic, leave this. Can't afford to tithe. Because people go around and they say, well, pastor, I can't afford to tithe. That's not true. I tried that before. That's why it's 10%. We all can afford to tithe, but we just got to make God the number one priority. So what we do is we pay our mortgage, our car note, we get a new iPhone, we got the iPhone 7, 8, the 9, and the 10, and we waiting on the 11 to come out, and then we say we can't afford to tithe. You got your hair done, you got your nails did, you got your car washed, you got your kids in private school, and then say, I can't afford to tithe. You know what we do? We go, this is what I used to do. I would go into the bottom of my pocket, and I would give a quarter in the first offering and a dollar in the second offering, and then I would say, I can't afford to tithe, but it wasn't true. The truth is, is that everybody can afford to tithe if you bring God first. God don't want to be second after your bills. He don't want to be third after your vacation. He don't want to be fourth after them new jeans and them Sky Jordans you got. He wants to be number one because he's, a, do I got any help in this house tonight? He's a jealous God. He don't want to be second, third, or fourth. He says if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things the Gentiles are seeking. Anybody working with some Gentiles, they seeking for love and all of the wrong places. He says, but if you put I got to live in a tent. I don't care if I got to eat from my relatives. I don't care if I got to cut my own hair. I'm going to put you first. And what that does, it causes priorities in your budget. The assumption is that you have a budget. If you don't have a budget, go home and get a budget and put God number one in that budget. Okay. And then what happens is that there's some stuff on the bottom of your budget that all of a sudden you're going to tighten up in and realize how much money you've been wasting. And all I'm saying is that God broke down my plane and he sent me here and I've been here two days waiting for this moment for you. And I want you to maximize this moment with some crazy praise when you get this revelation. That all I'm saying is that God sent me here tonight to help somebody not drink another stolen cup of Starbucks, not to go and get your stolen weave another day, not to go on a stolen cruise another day. I'm telling you now, he sent me here to help somebody quit taking what belongs to him and say, God, I will not rob you another day of my life. I will give to you because you give. Would somebody in this church just stand on your feet and give God praise because he's a good God and his plans are better than our plans. His plans are better than your plans. They're better than my plans. He's wanting to stir up your faith tonight so that you can trust him. You say, Pastor, why? Because Miami needs to be saved. That's why. We need 10 campuses in this city. We need to build more orphanages. We need you to be blessed to be a blessing. Are y'all hearing what I'm telling you tonight? Come on, everybody standing. Woo! Glory to God. There's faith in the house tonight. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here tonight, listen, before you give anything, you first have to receive what God wants to give you. The gift of salvation is free. You don't have to be a perfect person to be saved. You don't have to have a lot of money. Or you can't buy your salvation. All you got to do is say, Christ, I accept what you did for me on the cross. And there are some of you out here that you've kind of been in the crossroads of what to believe. And I'm telling you now, God wants to anchor your faith in his house tonight. 
And if you're here and you can admit that you're a sinner like me, I've sinned so much, probably more than you all, but the good news is that I don't have to pay the price for my sin because Jesus paid it all. And so if you're, if you're like me and you can admit that, Pastor, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior, would you allow me to pray for you tonight? Tonight is the night you go from death to life. Tonight is the night you go from darkness to light. Tonight is the night you go from temporal things to eternal things, but I need to know who that is. If you want me to pray for you, would you just lift up your hand right where you are and say, God, that's me. Save me, heal me, restore me. Lift it up, lift it up high all over the building. Now's your time. Don't let fear, don't let the devil steal it from you. Don't matter who you are, I see your hands. Your hand and 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 your hand. You can put your hands down. There are some of you tonight that didn't lift your hand up because of how good of a person you are. Maybe you've been a Catholic or Baptist or Presbyterian. Maybe you've been self-confessed atheist or agnostic you're not sure what to believe but the truth is is that I don't want to give you a religion or a denomination tonight I want to give you Christ I want to give you a relationship not a religion a relationship with the one and true living God and you'll wake up tomorrow and you'll say hi to him and he's gonna say hi back to you it's gonna be so amazing but I need your faith if you take one step towards him come just like you are he'll take two steps towards you here's your second chance tonight if you did not lift your hand, but you're not 100% sure that if you die tonight that your name would be found in the Lamb's Book of Life, don't play Russian roulette with your soul. Just take a step towards him and allow me to pray for you. Here's your second chance. You can lift up your hand right now if you didn't at first. Lift it up high all over this place. If you want to be included in this prayer, lift it up high right now. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand your hand. Anyone else? Thank you in the back. I see your hand. But more importantly, God sees it. Come on, pray with me. Say this. Everyone who had a hand lifted and those who didn't, you can join in too. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart tonight. Forgive me of my sins. I make a decision as an act of my will to choose to believe in you, to choose to surrender to you, you know better than I do. Jesus, come into my heart tonight. Forgive me. Restore me. Heal me. Save me. And use me. From this day forward, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I got another appeal for you tonight. Because I believe there are a lot of you here that was like me. I know that I'm not here by an accident. You know, my wife and my, my 13 year old were with me last night and I really wanted to go back to Gainesville with them, but I knew that I needed to be with you guys today. My friend is in Paris or somewhere and I just knew that this is where God wanted me to be. But every great message needs a great response. Sometimes we hear great messages and we get fired up, but I think heaven is asking us, what will we do with what we've heard? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to make this between you and God. If this hit you in your heart and you're like, Pastor, I need to repent from financial sin. I tithe here, I tithe there, and I use so many excuses about things that are happening in my life, relatives who need money. Some of you all give so much outside of the church, but the tithe is designed for the congregation so that there can be meat in his house. Not meat like food, like meat like provision. 
so we can do what God's called us to do is brave church. And if you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, as we go into this legacy season, as we go into another year, so help me, God, I want to obey you in the time. I want to put my feet in the sand and I want to ask your forgiveness and I want to get it right this year. If that's you all over the building, could you just lift your hand to God and just say, that's me all over the building. If you're here, you say, I want to be a tithe. I want to get this right. Hands are going up everywhere. Hands are going up everywhere. God sees your obedience. He sees your heart. And I believe rewards are shifting in your direction right now. Shift. Shift is the word of the Lord. Rewards are shifting your way because of your act of obedience. I want to pray for you both hands up. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that what you're doing in Brave Church is a miracle. I thank you that there is an anointing and there is fire in this house. Not bad fire, but passion. There is revelation in this place. Chains are being broken in this house. Generational curses are being broken in this house. Generational blessings are being established in this place. And I pray for every person's hand that is lifted. That everything they touch from this day forward, you will begin to bless it. Every business owner, every marketplace minister, every doctor, every school teacher, every stay-at-home mom. God, I pray that the foot of their heel, you'll give it to them as their land. I declare that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for their possession, that there is a wealth transference that's taking place for those that believe and will put our, our, our giving and our resources towards kingdom projects. Father, I thank you that even wisdom is being downloaded right now. Career changes that might need to happen directions that we need to take things that we need to invest in God I thank you that the government is on your shoulders and we're and we're with you God so God I just pray for supernatural favor that resumes are going from the bottom to the top that that deals are coming through supernatural debt cancellation that that, that things that are going interest rates way down or they'll be completely dismissed that 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 things that are going to court will be turned around in their behalf and on their favor and what people said would take two years or take two months God I declare that after tonight there is an anointing of a Joseph that's released in this house that there might be seven years of abundance and there might be seven years of famine but you give us wisdom in the season of famine that in the seven years after the famine the world begins to come to us for the answer that we got the answer to cancer in the house that we got the answer to racial reconciliation in the house that we're not looking to but the world is looking to us. We are anointed for this time. We are made for this moment, created for this cause, positioned for this purpose. This is our time for a shift. Come on, begin to declare shift over your neighbor. Begin to declare shift.
Who's here that you feel like you have the gift of giving? I mean, you just feel like you got the gift of giving. I need to identify you and activate you so that you can walk in that gift. I just feel like I have the gift of giving. Like I look for opportunities to give. You know how some people are stingy and you got to convince them to give something? You got to convince me to keep. Like I have a harder time keeping money. Like every time I got money, like, like I got like money in my pocket right now. Like I got like a little bit of money. Like who needs some money? You want some? You don't need some? You take some? Here you go. Here you go. You need to go bless somebody else by the way. Go bless that lady right there, all right? He like, yeah, I'll take some now. You go bless somebody. <laughs> he used to roll with me. He should know better than that. You know what I mean? But this is what I'm saying though. I, 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 want, I want there to be a shit. I need to speak to somebody. See, we want you to give. Now it's hard for you not to give. I need to speak to somebody. See, we, we celebrate the gift of a pastor. We celebrate the gift of a prophet. We celebrate the gift of an evangelist. We celebrate the gift of governments and all these other gifts that are in the Bible. But what about the gift of giving? The apostle Paul said, I want you to excel in that grace. What is that grace? It comes from the word um, cherish or charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, and it is a gift. Giving is a spiritual gift. When you're that person that it's like, man, I just got to do this for these people. Or man, you walk into a church and everybody else is giving a dollar and you haul off and give $20. You probably had that gift of giving even when you was a kid. If that's you, would you come to the altar? I need to pray for you tonight because businesses are coming through your hands. Multiple millions are coming through your hands and you got to know how to steward it right. You can't go out and eat your seed. You don't need another new iPhone and another new car and more debt and more bills for things that won't fulfill you. God's giving you a kingdom purpose tonight. A kingdom purpose in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of giving in this house. We thank you that wherever there is vision, there is provision. We thank you, Father, that you give them witty ideas and inventions. We thank you, Father, that you open up doors that no man can close even right now. We come against every generational curse, every poverty mindset, every victor mentality, and we declare that you have the victory, that it's yours right here, right now. Come on, lift your hands to the Lord. You don't need me to touch you. You need Jesus to touch you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that fire is being shot up in our bones, that they have self-identified themselves as kingdom builders. Now, God, bless them so that they can be a blessing. God, you've given us the harvest is plenteous. It's the laborers that are few, saith the Lord. And pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth more disciple makers, more prayer warriors, and more givers. For now is our time of a shift to a whole nother level. Now's your time not to build your empire, but to build his. Now's your time. It is coming to you if it can come through you, saith the Lord. It's coming to you so we release that right now in the name of Jesus and from this day forward begin to tell people man I got the gift of giving just like I tell people around the world I'm, I got the gift of being a pastor I got the gift of being a teacher you got the gift of giving celebrate that gift be excited about that gift for God loves a cheerful giver in Jesus wonderful name amen Thanks for joining us for today's message from Brave Church. For more information or to get in touch with us, visit us at bravemiami.com.